Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westman demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today, we're talking a movie from 2023, available on VOD, Joyride. The Sneak's favorite movie. The Sneak's favorite movie, really? It just seems so The Sneak. Why did they say that the dude was human Mushu? Are they referring to the food? I assumed without thinking too much about it that they were referring to uh, the dragon from Mulan. See, I thought that too, but the dragon is not hot. That dude was definitely human Shang. Let's get down to business. And he's all yoked and buffed and hairless, even though that dude wasn't (laughs) hairless. So they use that to describe... Stephanie Hsu's boyfriend? Okay. Is that, is that who you're referring to? Yes. The virgin. The the ultra Christian super hot guy. Yeah. Clarence. <laughs> Pretty hot. Australian. Yeah, I guess. Also Chinese, probably. And by human Shang, I mean just that the other Shang was a cartoon. Well, based on a historical figure, but yes. But I mean, she was the one who was all into Splinter, right? So I guess maybe she has a thing for cartoon dragons. I don't think Cat was into Splinter. Wasn't that Audrey? Uh, dude, which one was Audrey? Is that racist? Okay, let's just, <laughs> let's just get this straight. Audrey, this is a story about the friendship between Audrey and Lolo. And then there's Cat and Deadeye. Yes, okay. I'm Those with are you. our four main characters. Okay. But also, when I was watching this, I was like, oh, that's Naomi from Beef. And oh, Jopu Tapaki is making an appearance. And hey, that's the CEO from M3 again. <laughs> Man, that's a lot of polls. But he doesn't die here. Nobody dies here. This is a comedy. Uh, well, the a lot of the jokes died. I feel like this is the worst possible movie for you to be reviewing, considering the funk that you're in right now. That is why we're going to be discussing this. I'm going to be interviewing you for this discussion. Well, hey, you know, it's easy to rip on this film, but I think I have more to offer. So let's go. LFG, bro. About Joyride, in your opinion, what was funny? All right. So you just got to go right for the jugular, huh? Okay. In Joyride, what secret yet prominent role did Aquafina play? Ooh, secret but prominent mystery. This is our ongoing sequence of Aquafina just showing up in movies. Trick question, none. You're racist. <laughs> oh, um, he, he, this does scream Aquafina. 
however, uh, Adele Lim, feature film director for the first time on this project, was also the writer on this film, as well as Raya and the Last Dragon, which did feature Aquafina, which I thought sucked. Uh, yeah, Aquafina does the voice acting. She's also in Crazy Rich Asians. Yes, which also Adele Lim had a writing credit on. So good for Adele Lim, her feature debut. Is it good, though? Is it? <laughs> I mean, from a purely neutral perspective, yeah, good on a filmmaker for making her feature directorial debut. Sure, and this is why it's dangerous. Blah, 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 she's a lady. First time feature film director. Look, it's all Asian. We're Asian. We should love this movie. But this is a special request from our avid listener and friend, Celia the Chill Cho. This is a chill request? Yeah. Oh, no. What, does that change something? I mean, kinda. It's You'll attest that I've been hesitant about this movie since the first mention. I was like, please don't make me tear apart a movie like this. I'm always worried when Kelly Ray or The Sneak or anybody formally requests a movie because they, they're not like, oh, that's a terrible movie and let's watch them tear it, listen to them tear it apart. It's generally a movie that they hold in high regard. And now I have to well... crap on it. Cell, I think, feels a certain amount of responsibility to keep me accountable for supporting Asian entertainment. Uh-huh. Uh, she <laughs> and maybe she and she like people do. They like to, you know, um, have someone to chat about with the stuff that they seen or that made that made them think or made an impression on them. So she asked me, have you seen Joyride? You should do that next. And I was like, great. And this came on the heels of us discussing how she thinks that we are we're too hard to please. Here oh, or man. whatever movies. This is not going to help our case in that respect. Does she want to talk about it with you because she has no friends? Does she <laughs> love this movie because it loves her back? I think that probably like me, she identifies with some of the nuanced insights about being Asian that this story brings up in the midst of being a raucous comedy. So traditional values, few of which this movie holds on to, it just blows all the stereotypes out of the water, right? I think that Joyride and these characters play against, but also into select stereotypes. Exactly. When it serves their need, they can be a K-pop band, except that that doesn't work at all. We only think of these characters in terms of stereotypes because there are so few well-rounded versions of them in entertainment. I think if you just step back from stereotypes, you can think that these are just, I mean, obviously quirky, but kind of more more rounded representations of maybe the Asians you have in your life or the Asian that you are. It's never far, though. It runs parallel to a lot of the stereotypes in attempting to subvert them. It is stereotype adjacent. I mean, from the start, why is this? Okay, we're going to start our interview. Why is this movie called Joyride? That's a good question. I was thinking about that. It's obviously a road trip film. One of like six Joyride movies. Yeah. The mystery of the birth mom and the journey to discover and find the birth mom. A little bit of a MacGuffin, but I guess it's supposed to be joyful. Like not in a clean kind of way, but in a raunchy kind of way. And it's a ride. Incorrect. (laughs) This movie, working title, was The Joy F Club. Wow. Because it's just like the Joy Luck Club. The Joy Luck Club. Which is also an Asian-centric travel movie or where they go to a destination for a specific family purpose. Well, that really brings the uh, the basketball sex scenes into focus. Does it? Why is that? Well, I, I mean, it seemed a little bit excessive, but if that was kind of the central, the driving thrust 
if you will, of the film as the Joy F Club, then I guess that makes a little bit more sense. I mean, she's literally in a threesome when she's talking to her boss. Yeah. It's pretty edgy. Brian hung for like the first half hour of this movie, and then he had to check out to do some work. But um, his first question after, like the, the morning after, was really hoping against hope that it wasn't true. But did Joe Putapaki hook up with the basketball dude, the Fabio-looking basketball player? Uh-huh. Because he really didn't want her to. Why? Because she was with Clarence. Oh. And so he was really disappointed that she, I assume, succumbed to Fabio. Fabio. Yeah, when he lets down his hair and it's all luscious and stuff. You know, oh. I really, he wasn't doing it for me at first. And then when he took down his hair, I was like, whoa, that is kind of hot. Is that how Kelly feels about you? I I think it's closer that that's how the sneak feels about every Asian in general. <laughs> okay. Way to deflect, Wes. <clears throat> I think we need, for, I think our listeners need further context for why you're in a funk. What's going on with you? Uh, mom's being a punk. Hey, that rhymes. Why are you in a funk? Mom's being a punk. Yeah. <laughs> You're a poet and you didn't know it. Yep. All right. Well, stop being punk. No. Are you giving me a dead eye face? <laughs> you know that I have a patented dead face. Wait, it's patented and that's what it's trademarked as on the paperwork? Yes. Dead okay. face. Not dead eye, but dead face. Yeah. Well, you're Asian. Half. So this is what kept on coming up in the viewing of Joyride. I'm Asian. Yes, but half. Really, I'm kind of whitewashed. But I'm also a chameleon who, I'd like to know if this applies to you, tends to play to my identities as I see fit or as is advantageous. I've never done that. Oh, yeah? I've never Latin done honors? That. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, we like to talk about growing up in the hood. I literally grew up in a place where we used whiteout to write Asian power. On our backpacks what? at school. Yeah. Because in Torrance, there are a lot of Asians. And that was kind of my first identity that I cleaved to. But I had a lot of very white friends. I went to a very white school. I fooled myself thinking that white people saw me as fitting in. Not white, because obviously they didn't see me as white. But I think I fooled myself into believing that white people saw me as belonging, especially in my college experience. You're the token, man. From my college group, yes. But for my high school group, we're basically all Asian. Katrina and Kim are the tokens, you know what I mean? Yeah, remember we talked about Del Amo being like a thousand teens fighting and shootings kind of on the regular mall? Yeah. Also has the biggest Mitsua in the South Bay. Oh, Mitsua's the best. All I have around here is a 99 Ranch in, in, in Northridge. Isn't that true? Of which I'm an ally. Yeah, this movie checks all the boxes. This is impenetrable. People have to be very careful about trashing this movie. It was a movie that, at its center, the one character was being supported by her friends in this, you know, going to find out about my... Well, they weren't. They were actually just going to go see family, right? And she had this secret goal. She didn't have any secret goal. Audrey was very specifically going to China to close a business deal. And she had set herself up as the person to do this because she had led on, I assume, and mistakenly, that she spoke Mandarin. And then she was bringing Lolo because she feels pity for Lolo, even though Lolo is her best friend, as her interpreter. And then Lolo invited her cousin Deadeye because I think she also similarly had pity for Deadeye because Deadeye doesn't have any friends other than her internet K-pop friends. And then they met Kat, who was acting in a film there. 
How many times have you seen this movie? <laughs> it's not that convoluted of a of a premise. It becomes about this journey of discovery, her identity. Oh, she's Chinese. Oh, she's Korean. And Koreans hate the Chinese. And at least she's not Japanese because they both hate the <laughs> Japanese. But she goes to find her mom. And it's got this chewy center uh, of emotionality or whatever so, surrounded with a candy coating. And I wonder if those things play at odds. If you have a farewell style family kind of movie, then you have the raunchiness that turns everybody who that who, to whom that would appeal for the most part off. Like you can't take Uma or what was grandma's name in the farewell? <sighs> Nine Eye. You can't take Nine Eye or Uma to what is this? Joyride. Joyride? Yeah. But there's definitely a nai-nai in Joyride. You either have the family story or the WAP story, and these two are not interchangeable. This movie is- Sorry, did you say WAP story? WAP story. What's WAP? In the Cardi B sense. I don't know what you're talking about. What's a WAP? Isn't that like a racist term for an Italian? No. Wow. Are you or are you not a garbage American? Like, is that that- my nationality has been diluted and just all mixed up to become just a generic American without without a cultural identity. Why don't you speak Spanish and or Japanese fluently? Look, we're kind of there's there's jokers to the left of me, clowns to the right. And here we are stuck in the middle. We're supposed to be all things. That's why we're opportunists. It's why we're like we can I can be Latin when it comes to getting into school because being Asian certainly doesn't help me to get into UCLA and I can get Latin honors and then we can pick and choose because we can't be both things. Spanish is hard enough. I took Spanish in school because Japanese required another alphabet. We're Mexican and Japanese, which just makes us Southern Californian. How do you feel about not speaking those languages? I I, I don't think I can go home, go to Tokyo and be like, I'm home. This is my people. No one else is my people, arguably, than in Southern California, where it doesn't matter the nationalities blending or whatever, because we're blend we're a blended people. You know, it's funny. Mexicans can always identify that I'm Mexican. Like, I'm not sure how what it is, but they like always know. But I was surprised that when I was in Japan, more people didn't just start speaking to me in Japanese, because I think at least outwardly identify more as being Asian or being Japanese. You're an other over there. But I think that I'm still very much perceived as an other. And there are a lot of other superficial cues that would suggest that I'm not, you know, from Tokyo or Kyoto or wherever I have to go. Watashi wa nohongo ga hanasemasen. That's why. Do I feel shame at being a garbage American? Not really, because it doesn't really factor in until we're in those situations in other countries where we're really put to the test. But I can, I cut my hair and met you in Cairo and fat got all possessive and stole you away. And I was walking around Cairo with my sunglasses on and people would not stop talking to me in Arabic. <laughs> Just left and right. I was, I fit in in Cairo like nowhere else in my entire life. Or could it have been the exact opposite that you were so other, you were so extreme in your otherness that they just wanted to talk to you and the only way they could was in Arabic? Nope. I was generally brown and not particularly American look. I don't know. I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> Speaking of fat, whom I affectionately call fat and whose real name is Jeanette, this totally made me think about her. She recently sent me a text. It was with of a picture. It was of one of those, you know, those word art things that people have hanging in their homes. Yeah. Like 
carpe diem and live laugh love i like to cook with wine sometimes i put it in the food namaste in bed she sent me one of those she sent me a picture of one of those that said the best memories come from bad ideas done with best friends and oh and it's and it was so true and it totally made me think of joyride Oh, you have a nice way to bring it back to the movie. Right? Because this is all about, it's all the things. It's the chewy center and the raunchy comedy, but at the heart of it, it's a search for identity. It's an exploration of identity. And it's definitely about a friendship through trials and bad choices. And ripping off every movie over the last 30 years that came before it of this type. What is of this type, you ask? Well, there was the fish out of water stuff, definitely. There was the Joy Luck Club slash farewell travelogue kind of vibe. There's the at odds with family and cultural norms and stuff. And we just did this. Stephanie Shu was in Everything Everywhere all at once. And I gave that movie a totally. And it was all awkward and family troubles and identity and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I get it. But this one, I saw too many of the pieces. Man, all I know is every time this movie had a musical montage, it got progressively worse and more offensive. And not necessarily offensive to me, but I thought the the montage of them stuffing drugs up each other's butts and doing copious amounts of coke or whatever was ridiculous. And then the next musical montage was what? That Was that the K-pop one? Probably. Or was that the, the, the basketball sex oh, one? Oh, yeah. There was the... Basketball right, it got sex. it got crazier and crazier. Anytime music played, it was like grease lightning up in here. <laughs> a reference because of its musicality, but also because of its raunchy dirtiness. Grease lightning is a dirty ass song, and a general like utterly fantasy component. It, it, the first one was stayed on the rails. Get it? Because coke is like rails, is what they call it. But every one was so off the rails where it was a full on K pop music video. And it was a full on, it was like the most ridiculous sex scene I've ever seen, like across four different people with hair pulling and basketballs and stuff. <laughs> and vibrators and threesomes and business calls. <sighs> yeah, I think it kind of reached its height of ridiculousness with a full on fantasy sequence K pop music video. Not worse, just more outrageous, like truly, truly, truly outrageous. Yeah. I mean, it's com- it was completely, I don't know, it wasn't even supposed to be in their imagination it was just a complete diversion wait you're white adjacent did you get that reference which one the jam and the holograms reference oh yeah no man the sneak is going to be disappointed you're like her link to this world you're the asianist person no that's not true she has many more Asian <laughs> i was about to say you. what <laughs> So it was like The Hangover in a sense, right? Like Deadeye is sort of the Alan character. Yeah. When the tra- when the trailer references The Hangover and Bridesmaids, maybe if I was less excited, I would see it as warning signs. But that's like got me all written all over it. I don't know that they it shares producers with The Hangover or Bridesmaids. I don't see Bender Spink or Barry Mendel up there. But I definitely, interestingly, saw Seth Rogen and, J- and Evan Goldberg's names. Yeah. No, they didn't write it. They produced it. They didn't direct it. They didn't star in it. It's got their stink all over it. But we and, and I don't think that they would take offense if I said that because they've got a certain stink. Seth Rogen has a certain distinctive odor about him. <laughs> we saw and did not discuss Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. And I have my own issues with that movie that have nothing to do with this movie. But Kelly Ray didn't know until the credits. And she was like, oh, if I had known going in that this was a Seth Rogen movie, produced movie, then I I probably would have approached it differently. Hmm. And I can personally say that for Joyride. 
because I think that I was meant to understand a certain thing. And again, this is a movie that you were like, let's discuss it. And I was like, please don't make me tear apart a movie right now. And you were like, let's discuss it. I'm adamant. You need to branch this is my out. my cultural identity you need, or some you junk. Need, uh, and, you can use and, a little branching out. And so I went into it. And if I had known what I was going into, then I might have been better prepared. I'm saying that the mismatched elements of the heartfelt family story, friends kind of drama of... Help me figure it out, man. There's got to be a term. There's got to be a reason that Bridesmaids, for all its raunchiness. I mean, she had diarrhea in the street, spoiler, in Bridesmaids. That scene in the wedding dress shop was so patently ridiculous. And I'm guessing that there's nobody listening who has seen Joyride and hasn't seen Bridesmaids. That simply hasn't happened, right? I think the best parallel to the diarrhea scene in Bridesmaids is the cocaine scene on the train. And the difference between those is active versus reactive. I think that was the moment in Joyride where we lost Brian because he was like, that's just ridiculous. And aren't they all going to die from that much cocaine consumption? And so that's my question. Why does that scene in Bridesmaid, Bridesmaids work? Not only as being funny, but in terms of not realism, because that seems absurd. What what made this movie, every single element, what made me go that was kind of mishandled. <sighs> Because I because the, the plausibility in a raunchy comedy should not be the issue. When characters in comedy are reactive, it's funny. And when they are active, that's not where the funny comes from. It's the results of that activity that are funny. And the and that's the difference between the diarrhea scene and the cocaine scene. Which is the diarrhea scene? The diarrhea scene, scene reactive? reactive, right? Because they go to the okay. <laughs> they go to the Brazilian uh churrascaria. Yeah, now we're on the same page, term-wise. Okay, I didn't... I don't feel like any of the big set pieces in this movie worked for me. I didn't feel like they were real. Maybe they, they were too active, too assertive in their, This is funny! Don't you see it's funny? And I was like, no! Maybe because it wasn't reactive. There were similarly uh, absurd elements, for sure, in every uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. This, to me, is the difference between Bridesmaids and Ghostbusters. Paul Feig's Ghostbusters. The all-female Ghostbusters. It simply stopped working. And you have to be like, oh, but you're trashing a female-led movie. No, that is entirely not the point. The jokes refused to land. They were obstinate in their refusal to land. Like, I didn't laugh the entire time. Kelly Ray laughed a couple of times. She started with the kid saying this playground here ain't for ching chongs or whatever. And then she punches him and then he gets kicked out of frame by the swing. That was pretty funny. It was really um, funny. She laughed a couple of times. So you dead-eyed? I, I just, you I, like dead-eyed this whole movie? I just... <sighs> Bridesmaids. Okay, what's Bridesmaids about? Well... At its core, I think all of these movies are four mismatched friends thrown together in a situation they ordinarily wouldn't be in. And they come with a single goal or whatever to be bridesmaids, to be Asians representing abroad or whatever, to be in Vegas for their friend's bachelor party. And the humor situations that arise and when each of them is faced with a dilemma, how they react and bring their own personalities. What are Alan's uses in Vegas? I, I don't I don't know. To but roofie I everybody. guess he's the one to take the hit from Mike Tyson when nobody else could, <laughs> could possibly take that hit. Um, the, the point is that they're thrown together in an unfamiliar environment. They're all different fish out of water and hilarity ensues. I, I assume. Is that what you're digging for? So where Joyride succeeds, where Joyride soars, dare I say, 
is in it's in its insightfulness listen i wasn't laughing out loud i find a lot of the raunchy stuff to be kind of distasteful but i found a lot of the insights to be funny and touching heartfelt I think it's uh, Deadeye who said my biggest takeaway, which was, what does it matter? I think she's trying to make uh, Audrey feel better for being Korean. And Deadeye says, what does it matter? We're all going to walk around hunched over with our arms behind our back. And then she does the impression of every Asian person that you ever see taking a walk in Torrance. And it was so true. And it was so sweet. And there are other little nuanced insights about what an Asian American or a first-generation Asian in America experience is like, and also how that kind of just transcends into what it means to be friends. I didn't get the Japanese hands behind the back thing. It's not just Japanese. It's all Asians. That's the point. Well, whatever. I'm saying that, that you're right. I think that's the point. I missed the Asian friends thing. I don't have, so let's be clear. I have no problem with the cast. Everyone was strong in their own regard. The exact same way I feel about everyone in Paul Feig's Ghostbusters. Whereas in Bridesmaids, all their strengths were evident, and I think they played really well. They were just sort of hapless in this movie. They were put into a movie of absurd situations that I don't think was handled particularly well. All that to say there may be some truth underlying in their interactions, in the scenario, in their their grasp of the problems that they're facing and trying to establish their identities. Maybe just not for me. The contrivances, the tropes that they both bounced off of and played into, the implausibility, that's my thing. The implausibilities that I think these characters were subjected to. You know what? You're sounding a lot like Frank. Who's Frank? Frank is the douchebag ally racket playing boss who's like, I'm firing you, but it's not because you're Asian. It's because I fired some other dude for a similar reason, but I'm still an ally. You sound exactly like this Uh, dude. Okay. So are you going to go full Frank? Are you going full Lovebirds? Is this a nope? This movie was at odds with itself, man. The Vag Tat? She said that she had tried lasering it. No, you didn't. She had tried skin grafts. No, you didn't. That's not how you cover a tattoo. It just, it didn't work. I think it was handled wrong. I think it was handled by an amateur. And that feels terrible. And that's the nicest possible thing I can say about Joyride is that I can find specific fault, but it didn't make me mad. It was a, it was whatever. It was whatever. Like if anybody was like, what did you think? Especially the sneak. Like, do you recommend it? I'd be like, uh. and I got to be true to myself. I have to embrace the identity of who I am. And that's a dude who sees movies like Joyride and has to be like, uh, because remember when you said that you were being way too nice about movies and you had to stand your ground? This one helped me to remember who I am and what's important in my life. And that is standing my ground against poorly made movies. So in an interesting, ironic way, this did help you with your self-identity. It worked. (laughs) You found your identity through Joyride, a movie about identity. Right, but you're going to poster blurb it. You're going to poster quote it, and it's going to say Joyride. It worked. No, it didn't. Whatever. I can't tell if you're being nopey mopey. I can't excuse. I can't. I can't accuse you of being nopey. I can't excuse you of being whatever wavery because you're all rooting this in your identity and stuff. But okay, I have a simple question for you: Was this movie handled effectively? 
like the by the filmmakers. I think that this movie was pretty true to itself. It's right up there with the Hangovers and and nothing. The it nothing is up there with Bridesmaids the with you. Nothing is up there with the Hangover. The Hangover is one of my favorite movies of all time. Bridesmaids pretty up there. Pretty darn watchable in heavy rotation. Bridesmaids. Everybody loved Bridesmaids. Yeah. The Hangover up until Joker was the highest grossing R-rated movie in history. You know, I went to a pre-release screening of Bridesmaids, and afterwards, like an idiot, I raised my hand and asked Barry Mendel what he thought Bridesmaids as a movie would do for women. <laughs> what an idiot. Oh, my God. I don't ask that about Joyride. I really don't ask much of Joyride. I don't ask what it's doing for women or for Asian Americans or what or what have you. I'm trying to look at this as a, a self-contained existing piece of entertainment. I found it to be insightful. I found it to be surprising. I identified with the characters as uh, Asian Americans struggling with their own identity and finding their way through their friendships. It's kind of as simple as that. And for that reason, I give it a good. And that's our discussion on Joyride from 2023, a movie available on VOD. You got a whatever from Wes and a good from Iris. We'd love to know what you think. I don't think we've had a film this divisive on or whatever movies since probably Lovebirds. Our discussion for which is available at <laughs> or whatever movies.com or wherever you get podcasts. What did you think of Joyride? 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com at or whatever movies on social media. Wait, what's that? How do you support or whatever movies? By giving us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts and joining our Patreon page and becoming a movie friend. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one -on -one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.